Friends, I want to welcome you and thank you for uh, investing in your time and making worship a priority uh, and hearing from God's word this morning. I want to welcome our friends at Westside who are going to see this video and also to anybody who will encounter this message online or through our brand new podcast. My name is Adam and it's my joy to be your senior pastor. Uh, This is uh, the start of a new series called That's My Jam. You know, I think a a lot more people remember hymns for a lot longer than they do sermons. So... We're going to be taking a look at some classic hymns, you may know them, you may not, and and kind of unpacking some of the meaning of these treasured songs. Uh, 2019 is definitely going to be a a monumental year in the Musto House. Everything's new. Everything's new. I started a new position here at the church in July. And, you know, Spencer was a pretty sharp-dressed fella, so I can't be up here looking like a scrub. So the other day, I went and bought a bunch of new shirts, and they were on clearance. (laughs) So I I I got a new wardrobe. Uh, my wife um, took a new job as well, and she just had her first day last week at a brand new elementary school called Hopewell in the Park Hill School District. My family just moved into our new home. It's been wonderful. My son, he's a brand new kindergartner, and he just had his first day of kindergarten last Thursday. Now, I've had a few days now, so I don't think I'm going to burst into tears currently. Uh, went home and had a good cry uh, right after I took this picture and got him on the bus, but that all has gone awesome. I'm so grateful for, for that. So everything is new, new. And, and, and the reason we take pictures like this is because the cliche is true. Right? Uh, before I was a parent, since I've become a parent, people would tell me all the time, time goes so fast. Turns out it really does. And that's why we take pictures like, like the one I took on that first day of kindergarten. Because time really does go fast and, and we really do uh, forget easily how short the time we have together is. And so that's why we capture moments like the first day of school so we don't miss them. There's a great line from a Counting Crows song called A Long December, and and the line says, I can't remember all the times I tried to tell myself to hold on to these moments as they pass. I wonder if you've got some moments like that too, and not just the first day of school or whatever. It's easy to get caught up in the pace of life and to be on to the next thing. So that's why it's important to mark events in our life so we don't forget. You know, we do this with jewelry. Right? For a long time in a lot of industries, if you had worked at a company for 10 or maybe 15 or 20, however many years, on your anniversary, you got a watch. We do this with weddings. We, we commemorate the occasion with a ring, right? Sometimes we'll even inscribe the date inside. It's kind of a nice little reminder sometimes too. <laughs> uh, we, we, we mark championships with rings, right? We give somebody a piece of jewelry so you'll never forget that you're a champion, Right? We, we do this with, with lots and lots of things. We have other ways to help us remember great sacrifice. Matt Mason's memorial here in the center of town. A Navy SEAL who gave his life and service to his country. And we have a monument to him so we don't forget. We have the church bell here at 92 from our our previous location downtown. We brought it on over. We gave it a special house to reside in. And it helps us to remember where we came from so we don't forget. But it's also about remembering the one who helped get us this far. All of these things are so helpful because we as people forget so easily. 
That's what we sang about earlier in the service. Come Thou Fount was written in 1757 by Robert Robinson. He was 22 years old. When I was 22, I was playing a lot of Xbox. Okay, not writing hymns that would last 150 plus years. That just amazes me. In one of the verses we sang, here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. Now if you're like me, when we're singing this, it's like, I don't know what that word means, but I'll still sing along. Like what is an Ebenezer? Ebenezer Scrooge, what are, we, what are we talking about? Is that Ebenezer Baptist Church you may have heard of? That's where Martin Luther King Jr. famously preached. What are we singing about? This does not make sense. Ebenezer comes from a Hebrew word meaning stone of help. And Ebenezer is a stone of help. It was a monument the Israelites put up after a great victory to mark how far God had brought them. So they wouldn't forget And it turns out that we haven't changed much in 3,000 years. Because I think we need help remembering too. We quickly forget. Even today, we need help to be monumentally grateful to God. So this morning, we're going to read from the scripture that inspired this line from Come Thou Fount. And we're going to see the Israelites in desperate need for God to save them from their enemies. Our text is from 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 3 through 12. Now, this book is named after Samuel, the prophet uh, of of whom a lot of the story entails. But the authorship is unclear. So a lot of people think Samuel supplied a lot of the written material. But spoiler alert, he, he dies somewhere in the book. And so obviously Samuel didn't write the whole book when it talks about his death. So we're unsure of the authorship. We'll pick up as Samuel is calling people of Israel back to faithful worship of God in chapter seven, starting with verses three and four. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and asterisks and served the Lord only. So Israel is being threatened by another nation, the Philistines. A lot of people have heard of David and Goliath. Goliath was a a giant, famous Philistine. That comes a few chapters later. Samuel's instructions are to call his people to repentance, to honor their covenant, their promise, their agreement with God, to worship God only. And when they do that, God will also remember God's covenant to be their God, to be their protector, to ensure their success. The passage mentioned Baals and Ashtoreths. These are Canaanite gods. These are influences from other cultures. These are rivals to, to Yahweh, the, the God that the Israelites worshiped. They're one true God. Now I get the sense that they had some actual representations of these rival deities, right? Some totems or, or like physical idols of Baal and Ashtoreth. Now I think it's interesting and kind of funny that in the NIV translation that we read, it says they put them away. Oh, is that like in case things don't work out, they can bust them back out again, or how's that work? In another translation, it says uh, that they got rid of them. So it's hard to tell, but either way, these verses, they represent Israel's pattern for generations. When things were going good, 
they drifted into idolatry. And then when they need something, they turn back to God. I read an article recently uh, about the dilemma of good performance. And this is the dilemma. The longer you do what you do well, the less praise you'll receive for it. Like if you're an excellent cook, and when you cook for somebody for the first time, they're like, wow, this is amazing. But then over time, your great food just becomes your food. You just set a standard and that's now the expectation. Or maybe you've experienced this at work, right? Your sustained excellence begins to get rewarded a little less because people just kind of expect that that's what's gonna happen. I think this is how the Israelites approached God. When things were going well, they took it for granted. When the Philistines are breathing down your neck, it's time to put the other gods in the closet. Now they need something, right? Let's read on in verses five and six. Then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. This is a pretty good encapsulation of the role of a prophet in Israel. That's what Samuel was doing. It's kind of a lot of things wrapped up into one. Right? Israel didn't have a king yet. That too comes a couple chapters later in 1 Samuel. And, and so Samuel has a variety of hats that he wears. He was their leader. And the Hebrew word for this is used elsewhere in the Bible as a proper noun. It's, it's judge. And we can think of that as a governor. So Samuel acted as their priest who interceded for the people with God on their behalf. And he also acted as their governor. He was their prophet. And that meant he didn't just kind of, we think of that as seeing the future. But being a prophet in the Old Testament was very much about interpreting current events based on what you know about God. And, 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 and we'll see Samuel in this role interceding for people here in a few verses. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled in Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. So to me, this is an interesting piece of history and battle tactics. It was very common in the ancient Near East where this was happening for armies to have what we would call like a worship service before battle, right? They're gonna pray to their God for protection and for success. And, and you typically didn't bring all your battle gear to worship, which meant that that would be a prime time to attack the person that was worshiping, right? And so that's what the Philistines do. The Israelites gather to pray to God before they go into battle and the Philistines say, now's the time. So they rush in to attack. The people are freaked out and they want Samuel to keep doing his priestly duties. We read this in verses eight and nine. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. So the Israelites are outnumbered and poorly armed compared to the Philistines. When the Israelites tell Samuel to cry out to God and not to stop, it's an admission that the only way they can win, that they stand any chance, is with God's help. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, verse 10 says, 
the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Bethkar. Now this would be the type of passage that people sometimes point to and, and they're confused. Because in the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, there's, there's lots of descriptions like this about armies being slaughtered. And people have a hard time reconciling kind of God's approval of that with the picture of the concept of God that, that they have formed largely from the New Testament, where it describes God being a God of love and, and lots of other things. So how do we reconcile this, this scene with the picture of God described by Jesus Christ. Now my take on this is that the brutality of the Old Testament reflects the brutality of the time and that God was working with people in the manner with which they were accustomed. Whether or not this represents God's ultimate will for people is another sermon for another time. We need to be careful in how we apply God working in Mizpah 3,000 years ago to every situation. In this story anyway, the people repented, they cried out to God, God heard their cry, and God rescued them from their enemies. That's the point for us today. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. Ding, 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 ding. So now we arrive, the Ebenezer, the stone of help. Samuel sets up a monument to the Israelites' victory over the Philistines. The whole point is to remind Israel of how God saved them. And this, this is a reminder to keep them from drifting away from God and back toward their idols. So much of the Jewish faith is built around remembrance, holidays, Symbols and events that, that, that help us remember the faithfulness of God. I think we all could use some Ebenezers in our life, some reminders of just how far God has brought us, that it's only by God's help that we're where we are today. We are so prone to forget and we're so quick to become accustomed to good things from God. We need help to be monumentally grateful to God to give God the gratitude from our hearts. For the Israelites, the Ebenezer, it was a symbol of victory and how far God had brought them. It's important that we remember that every good gift in our life comes from God and that every victory we experience comes only with God's help. If you're like me, you need a little reminder to be grateful. You need an Ebenezer now and again. And these Ebenezers can take a lot of different forms. This last summer, I was ordained at the Methodist Conference in Springfield, Missouri. That meant I'm, a, I'm a, finally a big boy pastor. I'm a Jedi, however you want to say that. No more meetings, no more classes. I have been what's evaluated and believe it or not, seen as fit for doing this. And uh, that was a big deal for me for a lot of reasons. And to celebrate, my mom surprised me with a Traeger pellet smoker. Yes, it was quite a gift. Now, obviously, 
this was a big deal for a few reasons. One, I can now prepare the finest smoked meats. Uh, I'm trying to make hashtag smoke Saturday a big deal in my neighborhood. It rained yesterday. I brought that sucker inside on the porch. Still went great. <laughs> Nothing was going to stop me. But even more than that, uh, my mom's generous gift reminds me uh, just how far God has brought me and my family. Uh, when I was 18, if you would have told me that I would be ordained someday, I would have laughed at you. The last thing I wanted to do was be like a chip off the old block and be a pastor like my parents, but here I am, right? Another thing that makes this gift really special is that for about 10 years, for a decade, like a, about a third of my life, uh, my mom and I really didn't have any type of relationship at all. Now I wanna respect her, and this isn't therapy with Adam, so I'm gonna spare you from some of the details. But if you would have told me in my 20s that one day I'd be celebrating with my mom, man, I wouldn't have believed you. And I almost didn't bring this up because it feels kind of silly to be like, my Ebenezer's a grill. But it is. I, that's, that's what I got. And here's why. The Traeger is sweet, but every time I see that bad boy in the backyard, I think about how God can work when, like the Israelites, I repent and put God before everything else. That Traeger is my Ebenezer to celebrate the victory that was only achieved with God's help. The long journey through seminary, 60,000 bucks, Financial Peace University, hello. <laughs> the seven years that it took me to complete the ordination process. And it also reminds me of the reconciliation in my family. What symbol can you lift up that celebrates the victory that God has given you in your life? Have you had it too good and become a little complacent in your gratitude? Others of us need an Ebenezer to remind us of past victories because we feel like it's been a while since we've won. One of my favorite people in the world, his name is Paul, beloved member of my last church. And, and Paul was struck blind while serving in our military. And so he's been blind for decades. And he told me once that he finally came to a point in his life where he stopped counting what he had lost and began counting what he had left. And so if you're hurting this morning, my prayer is that you too can find a stone of help to remind you that you're not alone and that God is good even though you have suffered greatly. That you can find an Ebenezer to cling to that represents what you've still got left. I think August is an important season. It's an important month for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. Some of us are like me and we're sending our babies off to school for the first time. We're, we're, we're watching our influence wane as they get on that bus and the influence of others begin to grow. And it's terrifying, terrifying. I get it now, I didn't get it before. It's terrifying, and yet it's great. It's great, it's great. <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> Others of us may be seeing our babies go to college. And they're, <laughs> yeah. 
We'll shout out in the front row. And there's maybe less tears shed, apparently. Oh boy, okay. We got a lot of, partic- lot of participation today, Jeremy. <laughs> uh, it's also an important time in the life of our church. We just celebrated our 150th anniversary. Westside is about to celebrate their first anniversary. We're coming up on a, a, an important season in the life of our church. It's so easy to drift away from God and take things for granted. We need help to be monumentally grateful to God. And so here at 92, every time I go outside, I wanna look at that bell and I'm gonna choose to be grateful for what God has done in this church for generations. When I look at that bell, I don't see a memorial to the past. I see a reminder of how far God has brought us. When that bell rings, it's not the sound of the desire of nostalgia for years gone by. It is a call to have the courage and the faith to believe that God will continue to lead us, that God will continue to do new things if we will continue to put God first. Let's pray. God, this morning, we repent. We desire your forgiveness for the sin of self-sufficiency. That we become accustomed to all the good things you provide us and that too easily we forget and take you for granted. So God, in this moment, press upon us those those Ebenezers, those, those reminders, those images of how much you help us and how far you've brought us. We thank you for your faithfulness, even in the midst of our flakiness. God, we praise you for what you're doing in the life of this church, in our community, and we just want to keep being a part of it. So help us to remember that our help comes from you, and help us to be people who are grateful for all you've done in our lives. And everybody said, amen. Amen.